And we have cookies. Good morning, North Point. Are we doing good? When, when Rick asked you that question, I thought maybe some of you were suffering from some after effects of uh, negotiating your sleds uh, into the church today. Sleds or sleighs, I don't know what we call it now. What do we call that when your tires don't hit the road, but you just scoot in anyways? Is that a sledding? I don't know. Anyway, so uh, it's always fun to see who makes it on days. Maybe I should pause for a moment. I grew up in California. It's always exciting to me to see who makes it in on days like today. Some of you guys that have been here since like you were born in the snow, you're like, what are you talking about? Is there something going on out there? And, and I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, so anyways, that's kind of that's fun. For, um, for you guys that have, this has nothing to do with the sermon. This is just what's in my head. But for you guys that have younger kids, like you may feel like you're all about the snow. And when your kid gets to the age of driving, does that change your dynamics a little bit? Because you could feel like a snow beast. But, you know, when your kid drives, you're like, that's it. They're getting that, that four-ton Suburban with a snowplow on the front and roll bars, and I don't care who gets hit in the way. Anyways, hey, uh, so, so back in the day, I don't know, remember, I, mean, I don't know how far back you know, but back in the day, there was this place uh, called an arcade. Do you, do you remember this? There's like maybe two of these left in the country. I think they're both in Michigan, actually. Pinball Pete's is probably one of them. Amen. And, and, uh, and for you guys that don't remember that, it was a place that you had to, you had to actually go there to play video games. And so, like, you take your, your sack of quarters, and you'd go, and, and you'd put a quarter in, and you'd play for, like, a minute or whatever, and then and you'd die, and you put another quarter in. And if you have a, a slightly addictive personality like mine, you'd spend $50 in quarters like that and wonder what happened to all your money. Does any, you guys remember the arcade? Yeah, it's kind of cool. I, and, then, and then, I don't know, somewhere probably right where I was around age 10, like, the whole video game world was revolutionized because they invented, you see where I'm going? The at-home video game system. I'm not talking about Pong. Boop, 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 boop. That's, that's, we had, I get, but that, but I'm talking like Atari, right? The 26, the first that came out, right? And, and it was like amazing. It revolutionized the entire video game. Like you could play video games at your home and that's when we lost all of our teens, right? We never saw them since then because they could go in the room and play video games. It was amazing. Of all the video games that came out, I, I probably have like two favorites and the top two is, is this one game uh, that, that I always think of when I think of video games and it was, uh, it was the game that I was addicted to at the arcade and, and then when we got the 2600 uh, or I forget if it was the 26 or the 52, whatever came out and we bought it for that and it was just, it was absolutely amazing. It was this terribly pixelated little man in a onesie running around underground digging his own tunnel in an effort to kill monsters by inflating them with his bike pump which sounds incredibly lame when it's described that way but it's not it's like the most awesome game on the planet let me show you a commercial from I think 1982 that describes this game it isn't termites it isn't mice it's Atari's Dig Dug, the earth-shattering arcade game. Dig Dug digs his own mazes. He digs for balloon men. He digs for dragons. And now he's digging his way into homes everywhere. Dig Dug is under this world. Some of you, I see little tears forming in your eyes. You're like, I remember. How many of you guys remember Dig Dug? How many of you guys played Dig Dug? Oh, some of you just raised your hand. You don't remember it, but you played it. I don't know what to do with that. 
How many of you guys beat it? You got to that final boss level where it actually starts you under the monster so you cannot win. It's called a kill screen. Isn't that ridiculous? Atari was so evil. Dig Dug is this crazy cool name. It was released in 1982 by Nameco, and his name, Dig Dug, is a Japanese word. Uh, I don't speak Japanese. I'm, I'm looking at Maxine, my friend over here, who teaches ESL. She probably would pronounce this better than I would. But uh, the Japanese word, horatizo, which means I want to dig. The Japanese are cool when they come up with names, right? Because it means I want to dig. And it's a, a game about a guy who digs. So that's Dig Dug. And you'll see the connection in a second. As, as the teaching team, a couple months ago, we began talking about what, what do we want to talk about at Christmas? What, 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 what seems to matter? Where's God calling and driving us? And it was interesting because this, this time right now, this season, this Christmas season, it's right in the middle of 3,800 families getting letters. They got some uh, just a little while ago, and they'll get some more here in the next weeks or so, uh, that a church in DeWitt called North Point has paid off their medical debt, has literally dug them out of debt. And so as the teaching team began talking about digging and, and, and being dug out of debt and, and this idea, this whole concept of being dug out of a hole, became this prevalent theme. Some folks that are getting their debt paid off, um, if we're honest, they potentially dug themselves into that hole. Uh, Maybe some bad money choices, maybe some bad lifestyle choices. And and there are some other folks who are going to get letters or just got a letter who had the hole dug for them. And they just found themselves in this hole, these unexpected medical costs, maybe for a loved one, maybe it was for themselves, maybe it was a tragedy or injury. Either way, whether they dug themselves into the hole or the hole was dug for them and they found themselves in it, the love of Christ, the grace of Christ is shown to these families by this unexpected act of kindness. And, and the teaching team, as we began talking about this reality, we just saw the spiritual connection immediately. Sometimes we dig ourselves into a hole. Sometimes a hole gets dug for us, spiritually. E- either way, though, like, like Jesus showed up And with this unexpected act of kindness, he dug us out of the hole. The the phrase I kept using during teaching team meetings that everybody else shook their head at, and then they let me up first to preach, and so now we have to say it every week, is, he done dug us out. (laughs) I know, you're going to go home with that one. That's probably what we'll Facebook today, right? Let's tweet, he done dug dug us out. That's pretty much what Christmas is all about, isn't it? Jesus showed up on the planet. He did done dug us out. And the link to Dig Dug becomes incredibly obvious, doesn't it? And we want this stuck in our head, and you'll see our, our shovel Christmas tree over here, and we'll see over the next few weeks how many different concepts of digging we can get into our, our heads being dug out in this idea of holes. When we say dug into a hole, when we talk about the medical debt, that, that makes some obvious sense because it's medical debt hole. But there's lots of holes in our lives. I mean, when we say we dug ourselves into a hole or a hole was dug for us, I mean, there's spiritual holes like sin or spiritual apathy or guilt, maybe a wrong narrative about Jesus, maybe somehow trying to earn God's attention. These are all like spiritual things. These are all things that we believe about Jesus or God that hold us back from experiencing all he is and, and all he has for us to experience in this life. Maybe there's physical holes. There's debt. There's physical uh, failed relationships. There's loneliness, illness, Chemical dependency, like these are tangible ways that we get buried in the difficulties of life. There's emotional holes, 
depression, anxiety, fear, believing wrong narratives about ourselves. These are the things that we believe about us that leave us stuck or alone or lost in our own minds. And, And then there's emotional holes, right? Depression, anxiety, we already talked about that. Whatever the hole might be, the Christmas season has this way of exposing or highlighting those holes. I don't know why that is. Uh, it seems like often we can, we can go through the rest of the year living in those holes and somehow anesthetize or ignore or just not pay attention to those. But Christmas has this really interesting, unique, somewhat terrifying reality that it exposes those realities. It exposes the holes in our life. And so the next four weeks, what we want to do is look at some stories in the Bible of people who found themselves or or created for themselves different kinds of holes and how they experienced Jesus as their digger outer. I don't think that's a word, but it is now. Experience Jesus as their digger outer. So this morning, if you have the North Point app or if you have a Bible, I'd love you to open to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, we'll look at our first experience of a guy um, who, I, I, who has found himself in a hole. I'll tell you where we're going in a second. John chapter 5, starting in verse 1, says this. So sometimes later, sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem uh, for one of the Jewish festivals. And now there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda which is surrounded by five covered colonnades, here a great number of disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, and the paralyzed. Just, just pause there if you're reading in the Bible. Because uh, I don't want to pass this. I want to explain what's happening here. It makes some sense. Jesus is, is heading up to Jerusalem for a festival. They, they, they suggest that maybe it's a typical Sabbath. But we know it's on Sabbath, if nothing else, whatever festival uh, this is. It's on their holy day, the day that they worship. So Jesus is heading to Jerusalem to do that. Then he goes in a certain gate in Jerusalem, the city. There's a big wall around it. There's different ways you can enter that. And he decides to enter through this gate called the Sheep Gate. Right through that entrance, there is a pool of water, uh, and, and this is not uncommon. This is a typical normal thing. There would be pools of water there that they have cisterned up somehow. And this particular pool, though, has been named Bethesda, which in uh, Aramaic Hebrew probably means house of mercy, which is, which is super fascinating because if you've not heard this story before, or if you've heard it before, you'll find out in a second that, that this area is anything but filled with mercy, and so the, the, the text, John tells us, just in case we're reading 2,000 years later, that, that this particular pool called House of Mercy, but is anything but, has, has become a congregating place for people with broken lives, physically broken especially. It says the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. These folks have come to this area. Why? Well, there's this myth. If you have your own Bible, you'll probably notice that between verse 3 and verse 5, there is no verse 4. At least NIV just leaves the verse out. Some other versions put it in there, and they should ask, force you to ask that question of why, why is that? And, and, and so what's happened is that at some point throughout history, they've probably injected an explanation there so that we can understand that later, that NIV says we can leave it. We can leave it out because it's not in some manuscripts, but it's in some manuscripts. And here's what it tells us, is that there was a cultural myth surrounding this pool of Bethesda that said that every now and then an angel would come down and stir the water with his finger. I know, it gets weird. Just hang in there. And if we can have a pause for a minute, 
I don't know how weird it'll be in 2,000 years when people are reading about Elf on the Shelf. So don't get too weird. They're like, that's ah, weird. I, I, we do weird stuff. I mean, wonderful stuff. It's amazing. I love it. And so an angel would come down and stir the water with his finger, and the belief was that the first disabled person or broken person or blind person or ill person that got into the water would get healed. And so this pool becomes this gathering place of all these folks with physical and mental and emotional uh, disabilities, concerns, brokenness. And so here they are, all congregate. Can you imagine that? I mean, do you use uh, imagination caps anymore? I don't know, put it on, spin it up. Can you imagine that scene? Folks who maybe are, are not ambulatory on their own, maybe they need some help to get there, or, or maybe they've gotten there somehow, and, and, and the, the human mass that's around this pool, can you imagine the sounds? Can you imagine the smells? Can, can you imagine the scene of just a bunch of hurting people in a small area, all hoping for this water to get magically stirred so they can get down to it and potentially be... Healed. Now, it, it begs a question that I have no clue how to answer, so I'm just going to move on after I say it, which is super cool about preaching, by the way. But, but, like, why did they continue to believe that thing? Did people ever get healed? Like, I don't know. I don't know why. But somehow this cultural myth had been perpetrated, and so that's what they believed, and so that's what we end up with, this idea of whenever the waters bubble, then somebody could potentially get healed. And so we go on in verse 5. It says, One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, Jesus asked him, do you want to get well? Pause, please. What a strange question. And so Jesus gets there and he gets into this this literal sea or pool of humanity and he zeroes in on one guy. Why does he choose that guy? I don't know, but he does. And somehow in the interaction between that guy or the disciples knew who that was or they had, I don't know how he knew, but somehow there was this discovery that he had been invalid for 38 years, probably spending at least the majority of his life in this condition and in this place, believing this myth that somehow potentially maybe he'll get healed. It's interesting because the word invalid, it's just a fascinating word. It it literally means ill. It can mean lots of different things. The the specific definition of the Hebrew says for want of strength or weakness, infirmity, uh, especially of the body, or its nature or frailty, feebleness of health or sickness. Here's the point I want to make with the use of that word for ill. It doesn't necessarily mean that this guy was paralyzed. Now, if you've been in churches for a long time, and this, I just I always thought this way, that this guy was what, what, what we'd use potentially the word uh, lame or paralyzed or somehow his legs didn't move. I always believed that. And honestly, in studying the passage, I'm not sure why I've always believed that. I probably just always heard it that way. But as we move through the story, I'm not so convinced that it means that he was paralyzed. Hang with me on that point for a second. 38 years. He's been there for 38 years. Sometimes a hole gets dug for you. You're born broken. We don't deserve it. We have diseases and conditions that we didn't ask for or do anything to create. We're just, we're just born and the hole is dug for us. Other times we dig the hole, and I'm suggesting that potentially this is the case here. Sometimes we dig the hole for us. This dude hung in this situation for at least the majority of his life. He seems very comfortable In the situation that he's in, you'll see in a moment in response to Jesus' question, which seems wildly inappropriate in a place where a bunch of broken people are that just want healed. Why would Jesus ask that question? This guy seems very comfortable. 
And so Jesus, after finding out the story, says, do you want to be well? If that was you, what would your answer be? You don't have to yell it. Just think it. Like, because this seems like a no-brainer to me. If, if that's me, and I've done nothing to earn or deserve. I mean, I'm just, I'm broken, and, and I'm there. And, and this guy comes up to me and says, well, do you want to get better? I, I'm incredibly sarcastic. I don't know if you know that about me or not. <laughs> now you know. And I think my answer would sound something like, oh, duh. If I were in a mood, and if, and if I wasn't in a mood and I had maybe recognized this, this, this person asking me the question as something more than just a, a man, I maybe it would have sounded something like, absolutely more than anything else on the planet, I want to be well. Or, or maybe if I was in an incredibly humble mood for that day and just feeling very whatever and spiritual and whatever, uh, maybe I would say something like, yes. That sounded sarcastic. Let me try it again. Yes. <laughs> yes. I mean, but it would be some sort of affirmative answer. I mean, are we together on this? This makes sense, right? Like, like this doesn't seem difficult. If you're, if you're in this place, in this condition, in this brokenness, and somebody comes by and says, uh, do you, you want to get better? And, and your immediate answer will be somewhere revolving around the concept of, yes, I do, absolutely I do. But look at his answer. Verse 7. He looks up at Jesus and he says, Sir... I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. What does that sound like to you? Sound kind of excuse-driven? We just said, like, if that were us, we'd probably say something like, yes, absolutely. Or, or maybe if we were to play with this guy's thinking a little bit, maybe he'd say, oh, will you help me get down? Like, if that were really the issue, well, just help me, if you could help me get down, that'd be great. But he doesn't. He immediately starts with why it won't work. <laughs> he says, oh, I, I, I can't get to the pool. And, and, then, and then on, the, on the, I don't know, the rare occasion that I try, somebody cuts me off. <laughs> it's so bad. I'm just, I'm just stuck. There's nothing I can do. It's just an interesting question, an interesting answer. Uh, the NIV, and that's kind of what we use here, it really softballs the translation of this. Um, a, a better, more literal translation might sound like something like, I have no one to put me in the pool. The, the, the NIV says help, and that sounds nice, and, but really it's the language put. I have no one to put me there. I have no one to put me in the pool. In, in other words, it's somebody else's fault. It's somebody else's responsibility. The, the literal definition of the word put is to throw or let go of a thing without caring where it falls to scatter, throw, or cast, to give over to one's care, uncertain about the results, to throw or let go a thing without caring where it falls. It's most often translated cast. This guy says, I have no one to cast me into the pool. Uh, The Chris International Version would say something like, I have no one to chuck me in there. (laughs) Jesus says, do you want to get well? He says, I got no one to chuck me in there. What? (laughs) What is he believing about himself, this, this sense of a total lack of care or, or value or worth in, him, in himself? I don't have anyone to chuck me in there. And, and then uh, when I do go down, that someone steps in front of me, that's somebody else's fault and responsibility. Lots of excuses from this guy, I think rooted in believing that he's worthless. S- somewhere in, in, in the history of his existence, he had began to believe the narrative that he was worth nothing. And so we get this question and this interaction in verse 8. Jesus picks up the dialogue, which is 
which is always fun when Jesus interacts with someone with excuses. By the way, I, I'm a person with excuses, just if that matters at all. Uh, you probably aren't, right? Maybe some of you. This is what it says in verse 8. It says, Then Jesus said to him, Get up, pick up your mat, and walk. And once the man was cured, he picked up his mat and he walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who had been healed, It's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, The man who made me well said to me, Pick up your mat and walk. And in case I don't mention it again, doesn't that sound like an excuse? What are you doing? You're picking up your mat and walking. I, I wasn't me. It was him. He told me, I, I, I don't know. I, I don't know. Like, right? So they asked him, well, who is this fellow who, who told you to pick it up and walk? And the man who was healed had no idea who it was. For Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, see, you're well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So much to unpack in here. If we had more time, this could be a whole series in itself. But just notice the, the Jesus language. He says at really three phrases, get up, pick up, walk. Get up, literally could be translated wake up. Get up, wake up. Pick up means pick up. And walk literally means make one's way, make use of existing opportunities. Hebrew, literal Hebrew says to live is what that is. Get up, pick up, live. Uh, Live means to regulate one's life or to conduct oneself. It says immediately he was cured, and and the literal on that would be made whole or sound. So I look at this and I think, I don't know if this is just a physical healing. It's this idea of Jesus saying, get up, pick up, walk. It it could be uh, just a physical healing. That's a miracle in and to itself. Could be just a healing of an invalid guy not strong in his legs, but I'm not so sure anymore. I, I really think this invalid believed this wrong narrative about himself. For years he believed he was weak, worthless, hopeless, broken, deserving of nothing. His excuses for, for not making it into the pool of water in the cultural myth, they kind of indicate this. The, the fact that his whole day was spent at the water that he couldn't make it into seemed to indicate this. His life was reduced to gambling his future on a stupid myth and seemingly not even working very hard at that. And then Jesus comes along and breathes truth into him. He tells him an accurate narrative. He says, no, you are capable and valuable and able. He says, get up, pick up, walk, wake up, pick it up, live. Elements in this last eight verses here of the invalid not even knowing who Jesus was, and we could unpack that and try and figure that out. Is it simply because he hadn't listened to the the, uh, the gossip lately about this this healer moving through uh, the, the 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 Jerusalem area, healing people and teaching and ticking off all the Pharisees and doing all the things that Jesus was doing? Is it because he didn't heard any of that? I don't know. Is it because he didn't look up at the person that was talking to him when Jesus said, "Do you want to be well?" Did he not even look up because he's just so bought into this wrong narrative about himself of shame and guilt? And so his eyes were just down. And he's like, I can't even make it into the wall. And, and so it doesn't look at him. He doesn't know him. Is it because he didn't know his name? He had heard the, 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 the gossip and, and he, maybe he looked at Jesus, but he didn't know the two were the same. 
I don't know, but there's something in there about why he doesn't even know who Jesus is. And, and then there's certainly the element in there of our friends, the Pharisees, who were ticked because Jesus did this thing on a day where they said, nobody can do those kinds of things. You, you can't heal people on the Sabbath. That was their Saturday for us. We might call it Sunday. But don't heal people on the Sabbath. Don't get up and start walking on Sunday. Don't pick up your mat and walk. There's a whole thing in there about the Pharisees who kind of missed Missed the, missed the boat there. But the, really the biggest element, I think, in all of this is Jesus speaking into the man's narrative. Get up, pick up, and walk. See, I, I, I think that often our holes in life start here. Are, are you looking up here? Often our holes in life start here before they go anywhere else. Whatever narrative we believe about ourselves and Jesus causes action, often in the wrong ways. Believe the wrong narrative, get wrong actions. I love the phrase, play stupid games, get stupid prizes. All right? Believe the wrong narrative, we get the wrong actions. If you believe I'm worthless, and so I accept spiraling depression as just what I deserve, and I deserve nothing more. If I believe that Jesus is ashamed of me, and so I just live distant from him because I, I can't get near him. It's possible that this whole story that we just read is much more than just a physical healing, but there's a healing of the mind that happens, of a man who had bought into the wrong narrative, made his home in the hole of his broken thinking. And don't hear me wrong. This isn't Scientology. This isn't like, if you just believe strong enough, then all your dreams will come true or something like that. This isn't saying, if you just believe positive, then all your illnesses go away. There is a legitimate healing that happens here. I just think the physical component is secondary. I think there's a mental healing that happens that's primary. Something unique about this guy's story that leans me to think there's more than just a, a broken person who's physically healed, but there's a messed up heart and mind that's made whole. If that's too weird for you, the fact that it's a healing of physical, that's great right there as well. But I think there's so much more going on here. If you're seeing this the same way, if you see this as potentially more than just a physical body made whole, but really Jesus entered into the healing of this, this invalid's mind, then I think it makes some obvious questions. Some obvious questions. What, what holes have you dug yourself into? What holes have we dug ourselves into? What holes have you dug yourself into? Or what holes have you just accepted as normal or, or all you deserve and, and just made your home in it? See, again, the, the challenge is that during Christmas, those holes are highlighted. Maybe we can ignore them or, or put them to the side and not think about it during the rest of the year. But at this season, those things are highlighted. And so what holes have you just accepted as normal? Or what wrong narrative about yourself or Jesus have you bought into? See, Jesus said that he came to dig us out like to give us full life. Matter of fact, in John 10.10, 10, it's one of my favorite verses, John 10.10, 10, Jesus literally says, I've come to give life and give it abundantly. Like, like his desire is to have us live lives that are full, not lives in the base of a hole. See, he, he wants us to live lives that are full of adventure and excitement and, and, and all those things. Not just live life in a whole, but it's interesting because that same verse, right after that, Jesus says, the thief comes only to kill and steal and destroy. See, Satan longs for us to stay in the hole. Satan loves when we buy into the hole and stay there because that's where we're least effective and where I think God's heart is most saddened when we stay in the hole, whether we dug it ourselves or someone dug it for us and we found ourselves in it. Satan loves that. 
And Jesus says, I've come to give something completely, completely different. It doesn't mean that your life will be wealthy or always healthy or easy or always fun or even safe. But it absolutely, when Jesus says, I've come to give life and give it to the full, it absolutely means that we should have a full, worthwhile, exciting, adventurous, and purposeful life. Settling for anything else is just sitting by the pool complaining that nobody will chuck us in. So over the next four weeks, that's what we want to do. We'll look at some stories. Our, our prayer is that it reveals some of our holes. Some of you dug, some others dug for you. And in that, we're reminded that we have a Jesus who's all about digging us out. Uh, a sermon like this, we, we end it, and we don't know how to end it, if I'm just frank. <laughs> because some of, some of us are sitting here going, yeah, I, I get it. I, I know my holes. Jesus has dug me out of many of them, and I could make you a whole list, Chris. And Jesus is amazing, and I'm so thankful to him. And Thanksgiving was really the opportunity to, to celebrate the heck out of that. So, some folks sitting in here right now are going, yeah, I, guess, I think I got some of those holes, and I don't know what to do with that. So, some folks sitting here are like, holes? What are you talking about? I'm just fine. Everything's fine. I'm completely fine. Don't ask me those questions. I'm doing all right. I'm fine. I'm just fine. Thank you. I'm fine. So we don't know how to end this this morning because all of us on one level have to do business with Jesus. If we're recognizing the holes that Jesus has dug us out of, there's some thanks there. Amen? But if we're also recognizing some holes that we're staying stuck in, sometimes it's more comfortable to be in the hole because the pain of being out of the hole is scarier than the pain that we know of being in the hole. I think we've got to be honest with Jesus about that. And if you're sitting here and you're, and you're saying, I have no holes, I've never had a hole. <laughs> I'm like, man, I'm, I'm a little nervous. Because if you haven't had one yet, boy, I feel like it's coming. And so I guess this is the easiest way to end. I'm going to pray. I'm going to pray. And uh, you, you do what you've got to do. Uh, I'll pray just a little bit long. And you don't have to listen to me. If you got some business to do with Jesus, do it. And Jamie will just keep playing, and, and I'll dismiss you after I pray. And if, if you're good to go, you feel free. If you do business with Jesus better by yourself in a different place, I get that. I, that's me too. But if you want to use this space for a few minutes just to talk to him, fantastic. Feel free to stay right where you are as long as you want. And if you're not sure like how to do the next step or where Jesus connects to the hole in your life or, and you want to talk to somebody about that, feel free to grab Rick, or grab me, or grab any of the staff, the band, grab your life group leader, grab an elder, and spend a few minutes talking. If you're part of a life group, there are sermon-based questions in that app that are designed around this question. And so hopefully this week you'll have a time to process that in a group that loves you and knows you and that you can trust with those big things in life. So let me pray. And if you want to leave, feel free to do that. Jesus, thanks for today. Thanks for you. Thanks for a story like this that you left in your Bible so we would be reminded that sometimes we stay stuck in our holes. Jesus, thank you that we don't have to stay stuck. Thanks that you ask us that really hard question. Do you want to be well? And so God, right now, as I'm talking and we're thinking, use your Holy Spirit in the hearts of us in this room. Reveal the holes that we've either ignored or, or maybe try to patch ourselves or, or we're comfortable just sitting in the bottom of. God, reveal those to us. Give us just a glimpse of what a better, more full life could look like. And, and in the midst of those thoughts, you'd help us to just draw close to you. You make this incredible, like semi-ridiculous promise. If we draw near to you, you draw near to us. So God, pray that that would be the case. 
And maybe on a, on a rare occasion, God, you've, you've allowed us to be in a hole for a time because you want us to learn something or know something or see something. And if that's the case, God, I pray that you would just help us remember that sometimes you're in the hole with us as you begin to dig us out. God, thanks for being our digger-outer. Thanks for the fact that you did done dug us out. Jesus, help us to know that and experience that. I pray for the folks in this room, God, that you would just speak to their hearts on it. And over this next days and weeks, this entire Christmas season, as you highlight the holes, that you would just drive us, that you would drive them to you, to your feet, and an ability to answer that question, do you want to be well? Jesus, thank you for this morning. We love you. North Point said, amen. North Point, it's good to see you. If you'd like to leave, we'd ask you just to leave a little quieter manner. And if you'd like to stick around for a while, you feel free to do that. We'll see you later.